From ADP, this is Better For It. I'm Francesca Ramsey. You may know me from my videos about race and pop culture on YouTube, or maybe you're my fairy godmother. I've written for MTV and Comedy Central, and I even wrote a book about my mistakes on my journey to become an activist. On this show, I talk with business leaders about their biggest mistakes and how they've learned from them. In fact, those lessons fuel what they're working for today. This is our last episode, and my final guest is Charles Thomas. Charles has built a very successful career in philanthropy. But like most of us, he had to learn some lessons on the job. The number one rule in fundraising and asking people for money is to have a relationship. And I was asking people for like $5,000 at the first day. Right now, Charles is the program director for the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation in Charlotte, North Carolina. The Knight Foundation is famous for supporting journalism, the arts, and civic engagement. Charles gets to decide where the foundation's money is invested in Charlotte, which is especially sweet because it's his hometown. One big goal of his is to make sure residents of poor neighborhoods are able to have a say in how they want to be developed. So the fact that you're from Charlotte, how does that impact the work that you're doing? And and why do you think it's so important for you to do work there? It's amazing. You know, it's like a dream job. I grew up in Charlotte. I grew up, you know, poor, single mom. And so I feel like the city has been good to me in so many ways. And so for me to be able to be in a position where I'm able to invest in people that may have experiences similar to how I grew up, it's challenging, but it's rewarding. I get up for it every morning and I love it. And so what's the project that you're working on right now and who are you working with? My primary focus in Charlotte is in a neighborhood or a district called the Historic West End. And we're working in the district because Charlotte is growing rapidly. We were so blessed with a great economy. At the same time, we are seeing widening gaps in income inequality. Mm -hmm. And we were recently, Charlotte was, um, listed as being a city that has very low economic mobility. So the idea is if if you're born poor in Charlotte, your chances of rising to the top or going to the next level is very low. It's one of the lowest in the country. That report really grabbed our community's attention, our leadership's attention, and galvanized the community to begin to think about how do we improve outcomes for people and help people to climb the ladder to live the American dream. Charles didn't arrive at his philanthropic dream job through a traditional route. He actually started out in corporate consulting, but then left to start his own photography business. Then he took a job at a local photography museum. And while he was there, he worked on portraits for a book called Giving Back, a tribute to generations of African-American philanthropists. The project sparked his interest in learning a lot more about that world. And I read a book by Muhammad Yunus, who's an economist who started a bank for the poor called the Grameen Bank in Bangladesh and learned about micro lending, um, giving small loans to women in Bangladesh that helped them to start businesses. And when I read that story, I was like, I want to be like this guy. What is that called? And he called it a social business or a social entrepreneurship. And I was like, I want to do that. And so I, I began a quest around the city, talking to different people like, have you ever heard of this thing called social entrepreneurship? And it led me to a room that was talking about my future job, which was to be the executive director, the the first hire at Queen City Forward. 
Queen City Forward was a nonprofit designed to support social entrepreneurs in Charlotte, giving them the space, funds, and mentorship they needed to thrive. Charles was hired to build this new organization from the ground up, running its programs and making sure it was financially viable. And he had a lot of ideas. One was a program that would better connect socially-minded businesses in the city. Another was to reach out to college-aged entrepreneurs. But his first big mistake was getting so caught up in these big ideas that he forgot to pay attention to the bottom line. So probably three months in, I realized that the amount of money that we had was not going to fully get us through the year. And I didn't really do a good job of kind of calculating the math out because I was so excited about getting something that I've been dreaming about. And so I had to quickly like kind of settle myself in and really hunker down to getting the work done, which was I had to fundraise and I had to figure out how to make money and generate revenue. And, you know, this is on the fly. I've ran my own photography business before and I have some instincts, but I would not done it in this fashion, uh, not as a nonprofit. So what did you do? I started interviewing people. I was like, I went to the best fundraisers in town. I said, hey, can I buy you coffee? How do you do this? How do you fundraise? And I'd get a free hour out of them. And from there, built a, a fundraising strategy and then went down the list of who I knew and began to call upon those folks and was very blessed that a very well-known philanthropist in Charlotte really took a liking to what Queen City Fort was doing and, and opened the doors of her house. And we had our first fundraiser within three or four months of the company starting. And the people that came were, you know, the people that you want at your event. Even though I didn't raise as much money as I thought I would. So that's another thing. Mm. Why do you think you didn't raise as much money as you thought you would? Because the number one rule in fundraising and asking people for money is to have a relationship. Mm. And I was just, it was the first date. <laughs> and I was asking people for like $5,000 at the first date. Oh. And uh, it was just not reasonable. And so what I was able to do was to begin to establish relationships. And I was able to go back to the, some of those folks later. And we were able to raise money from them because I was able to show progress. Right. Um, and so I had to get some patience and some wisdom um, we did raise money that night from folks who, wow, stuck with us for like three years and, and continuously wrote a check. Um, but it, the whole time I had to, to, to right size the, you know, what I was able to do at the time that I was in. Any kind of, I think a young person, a youth is like, I'm going to like save the world or I'm going to, you know, make a million dollars. And it's like, well, you know, you don't have all the parts yet. Once Charles figured out how to consistently raise money for Queen City Forward, his programming started to grow. A favorite project of his was the College Entrepreneurship Program. It brought students from all over the country to Charlotte and helped them figure out how to launch their business ideas. Things like building solar cookers or using llama hair as insulation. Probably the proudest moment is when we brought a llama to <laughs> the pitch event. So you think Shark Tank. Think Shark Tank at a university and inside of a university building um, where I was like, they are not going to let us bring a llama into a downtown center city building. No way. <laughs> and I show up to the event. I'm like, oh, my God, they let us bring a llama. <laughs> and we got a picture. Did we get a picture with the mayor? I don't think we got a picture with the mayor and the llama, but... I got a picture with the llama and all of our college entrepreneurs. It sits on my desk today. That is so It was a funny. testament to the talent that we had brought in. It was a testament to our ability to get national talent to Charlotte. And also probably something unexpected for a pitch event, correct? Oh, it was great. 
I mean, that's what I'm saying. It was, like, awesome. I'm like, I was like, this is incredible. (laughs) But as creative and fun as all this was, over time, the college entrepreneurship program struggled to get funding. This pushed Charles to think about making a career shift. He wanted to be able to make an even bigger impact in Charlotte. And just as he was realizing this, a job opened up at the Knight Foundation, which had deeper pockets and a broader reach. It seemed like a perfect fit. So Charles applied, and he got the job, and he was totally thrilled. But when he started, self-doubt set in. My leadership, they come from attorney backgrounds, and, you know, like, they have great questions and um, very data-driven. And so I was like, I, you know, I don't know if I'm going to pass this test. That's after the break. Better For It is a podcast from ADP. ADP believes that the things we work for are what define us. And they're imagining a world where nothing gets in the way of doing great work, not even our biggest mistakes. Much more than payroll, ADP also provides best-in-class HR, talent, time, and benefits, all designed to clear the way for you and your people to achieve what you're working for. Back to my conversation with Charles Thomas. Charles was so psyched to start his job at the Knight Foundation. I was just like, wow, what an opportunity. Because the Knight Foundation in Charlotte, from my perspective at that time, was the coolest foundation in town. He was doing exactly what he wanted to do, investing millions of dollars in programs in his home city. And he wanted to hit the ground running. But like a lot of people, with a brand new, bigger job came some mistakes. At Queen City Forward, Charles's missteps were initially all about misunderstanding the mechanics of running a nonprofit. At the Knight Foundation, it was more about him getting in his own way. So this sounds pretty different from running your own organization at Queen City Forward. Was there a culture shock going to a big place after a small one? Yeah, it was. Um, it is very different. I've worked with small organizations for Oh, my goodness, for most of my career, 15 years, it's either been me by myself or at most eight people. I'm used to being the person running a business, and now I report out to a director that I report to and a CEO that I report to. And then it's not a lot of bureaucracy, thankfully, but it's just more than what I'm used to. And especially Mm -hmm. when it comes to decisions, it's not just me making the decision. It all took some getting used to. Charles was now part of a roughly 60-person organization, and he had to report to people, get approval for his ideas, and operate in a more corporate scene. He struggled with this, and it all came to a head when he pitched his first big project proposal. He wanted to support equitable development in four neighborhoods, making sure historic residents weren't left in the dust as new money moved in. When he presented this to his higher-ups at the Knight Foundation, he was taken aback by their approval process. Originally, I proposed working in three to four neighborhoods, districts. And so the question was, like, why these four districts? And so I explained all four of them. And, like, you know, well, like, what are the assets in each of these districts? Why would we want to invest there? So their questions were like, that's a lot of neighborhoods. And finally, they were like, pick one. And so I picked one neighborhood, and they're like, why? 
They were asking questions. In my mind, I thought they were hard questions. In my mind, I thought they didn't trust me. You know, I created all these stories around uh, simple questions. Where do you think that came from? You know, I was nervous. Mm. My leadership, they come from attorney backgrounds. And, you know, like they have great questions and um, very data-driven. And so I was like, I, you know, I don't know if I'm going to pass this test. And then as a result, I wasn't fully listening, right? Because right. I'm being so caught up in this. You know, it's one of those things where you're always trying to figure out if you're enough. There's issues around imposter Imposter syndrome. syndrome. Right. Do I deserve this job? You know, should should someone else have gotten it? Is someone else better? Like, I mean, there's a lot of cultural stuff. Like, I'm African-American. Like, you know, I'm sitting in rooms where there's all white people. Like, am I going to represent my community? Am I going to, like, all these things flow Mm -hmm. into that are also a part of the pressure. There are plenty of times when you're in a room um, at an organization like Knight, where you don't feel that you're that smart, it's very intimidating. For me, it makes me want to withdraw. All these negative thoughts were starting to get in the way of Charles getting his work done. He knew he had to fix it, but he wasn't able to do that until he figured out how to reframe the feedback he was getting. They're not here to torture me. Right? Like, what? They're not here to have. They me, want me you have to be there. <laughs> they want me to be here. And that's what my wife would say. She's like, You have the job. What is wrong? You know, oh. like, I don't know. I got to do, I got to work oh, harder. I think you know? we all need to say that to ourselves more often. We're often so concerned with keeping the job. And it's like, Well, you have the job. So you don't have to worry about that part. They want that's you to done. be here. <laughs> And so when I began to say, you know what, these questions are here to help make what I'm doing better. And that's when I began to say, oh, this is a partnership. Oh, okay. Armed with this new attitude, Charles developed a strategy that took him back to his school days. What I would do to get around this is I began to type up any conversation I had with someone, the person I reported to, I was reporting up to, I would literally type every single word they said in the question they asked in every word. And then I would go back and read it. And I was like, man, those are good questions. Wow. <laughs> you know, and that was not a good answer. It was like just taking notes in a class. Like it was to me a part of my studies in terms of getting grounded in how to be successful in this work. Even as Charles was learning how to overcome his imposter syndrome, his next big mistake was bubbling up. When anyone starts a new job, it can become an overconsuming thing, right? Mm-hmm. You just, it's all you think about. So I was just thinking about work all the time. I'd be in conversations with my family and I'm thinking about work. I'd be like trying to go to sleep because I, I couldn't go to sleep because of work. And then he got to a point where he couldn't work anymore. A year and a half into his job at the Knight Foundation, Charles got really sick. He was diagnosed with hyperthyroidism. I don't know if you've ever gotten so sick where you're just like, you know, I just, you you just let yourself sleep and you just let it go. Yeah, at some point your body says, we're not doing this anymore. (laughs) And your mind says, we're not doing this anymore. Like, I'm going to bed. And I got tired of being stressed out and struggling. I mean, I was working so much and I was like, wait a minute, I'm doing all this work to try to help this neighborhood, but I'm not spending time with my three boys at home. Like, wait, hold on. And I was sick in such a way that, like, I couldn't play basketball with them. And so things like that, I'm like, I can't even play throw football with my boys. I'm like, nah, this is messed up. You know, I'm really trying to right-size my priorities of my life of, you know, family, wife first, self in there first, and then the world. You know, if I'm not cared for, I can't give to the world. 
it was almost to the point where I'm like, I don't even know if I'm going to do this job. So <laughs> forget the world. You know, like, can I take care of myself? So 18 months into this new job and five months into trying to work through this disease, Charles took a step back. He got the treatment he needed. And he started to fix the parts of his life that were out of whack. Like, I went from being, like, really not well to being almost 85, 90%. And it was like the sky opened up. It was like the clouds opened. It was no longer raining. I hadn't seen sun in months. And once I did that, I was like, I am not giving up this joy. How do you give yourself the time and the grace to accomplish the things you're working towards? To say, I'm going to accomplish one thing at a time, not solve all the world's problems in an afternoon. Yeah, that was a lesson because I thought I was running a sprint And I realized this is a marathon. And actually, you know what? It's not a marathon. It's a relay race, a relay marathon. Mm. I'm going to do what I can do for my time. I mean, literally, my first two years, I was sprinting. And I was not getting close to the finish line. And I was running out of breath and having to stop and all these different things. So having done it, it helps me have grace. And when you get sick, you end up giving yourself grace because you have no choice. One of the big takeaways that being sick and reassessing taught Charles was that he needed to narrow his focus. So he prioritized the programs where he could make the biggest impact. And some of those were in Charlotte's West End. And so the work we're doing in the West End is a neighborhood that in its day was a thriving, segregated Black community. Mm -hmm. But then, like a lot of American cities during the 70s and the 80s, the district really began to go down. And now it's experiencing a resurgence, if you will, from an economic perspective where you have new people moving into the neighborhood, mainly folks that are young with income that are white. And so with that comes the, hey, it's great that we have new neighbors and potential new amenities. But how do we take care of the people who lived here before? (laughs) How do you take care of the people that lived there before? So we're dealing with issues. Yeah, it's like the gentrification, gentrification at its core, right? Displacement, really the displacement side of it. Yeah. And so this neighborhood is growing. And where our philanthropic dollars go, though, is to helping to ensure that historic residents are participating in the development Mm -hmm. of the neighborhood that we're building a fabric of engagement that allows them to sit at the table of developers, both public and private, and to influence that development to make sure that they are uh, maintaining their cultural histories. I'm seeking to bring a model for how to do community development that is inclusive and equitable that I'd like to see spread across our city. One of the things I thought was really interesting was that at the Knight Foundation, you're in charge of distributing grant money to nonprofits When you were at Queen City Forward, you were asking organizations like the Knight Foundation for money. So you've been on both sides of that pitch table. What mistakes have you seen from people who are now pitching to you? And and have you ever thought, oh, my goodness, I have done that before. I've been in that exact same position. So the mistakes that folks uh, make from nonprofits and that I made when I was running Queen City Forward as a nonprofit is not understanding that all foundations are not alike, that, you know, just because they're in the same industry does not mean they have the same objectives. Each foundation has a strategy and they are really clear about it. So do you mean that sometimes you have to tailor your pitch based on who you're talking to? So another way to put it is, this I was good at at Queen City Ford. It's important to understand when you walk in, it's not just about solving this problem that you're coming in with, um, that it's also, it's a partnership. And so if the foundation says they're 
really focused on affordable housing. If you come in there with a pitch for education or for kids or for a mentoring program, then they're going to tell you no. And so people literally will come in and they've not researched Mm. and they don't understand that and they'll pitch that. And then sometimes people will be upset. So it is not as simple as these groups are here to give money away. But I also recognize, because I sat on the other side of the table, when people just don't know and they didn't know that they didn't know. And so... So do you give this kind of feedback? Oh, absolutely. So I always recommend people never just go online and apply for a grant. Because if you go online and apply for a grant and you get rejected, you're not going to get any feedback. Mm-hmm. I highly recommend everybody meet with the program director of Knight Foundation before you submit a long grant. And so in those conversations is when I'm like, here's what I heard. This is what you're doing. This is how it aligns. This is how it doesn't align. So we just have a candid conversation. And so I'll give them lots of thoughts and advice. And I'll even recommend other funders. I'm like, oh, you know what? We don't do affordable housing, but you know who does? This person, this person, this person. Mm. And I truly want to share because understanding a foundation or the philanthropic world from the outside, it can be very confusing. So I try to shorten people's distance. I consider it a part of the job description for me. This very thoughtfulness about how to service community has been present throughout Charles's entire career, going all the way back to that photography book he helped create, titled Giving Back, featuring African-American philanthropists. People often assume that all philanthropists fit into this very narrow model. White, old, very rich. I always think of like a cartoon character with a mustache and like a monocle. Why do you think people assume that rather than seeing the diversity of what philanthropy really looks like? Oh, why do they assume that it's just old white men? Yes. Oh, because those are all the images we see. That's it. And so why we were so dedicated to giving back is because we were wanting to elevate stories of African-Americans because we just need more media channels and options. And so the interesting thing about the Giving Back Project was how humble people were. People did not want to tell their story because they thought they were being too um, egotistical. They didn't want to brag. Yeah, and I was like, are you kidding me? Please, ma'am, please, elder who founded this thing, the cover of my book is the hands of Aunt Dora, who started a um, a soup kitchen in her 70s, you know? And like, are you kidding me? We need to hear those stories. Please don't be shy, mm. you know? So that's what I encourage people, like, tell your story, because your kids need to hear the story. And I think our kids need to see people of all different colors and backgrounds doing great things. You can't see it, but I'm giving you snaps in the studio. <laughs> <laughs> you got me started. All right. <laughs> so when people hear the word philanthropist, what's the type of person you hope that they think of? I hope they see themselves. Charles says what he's working for now is to keep investing in people who want to make his beloved city more equitable and inclusive as it continues to grow, all while making time for sleep and playing basketball with his kids. This is the last episode of Better For It. Thanks so much for listening to this series from ADP. I've learned a lot from these interviews, and I hope you've learned something too. Now we want to hear from you. 
What mistakes have you made at work? And what did you learn from them? To let us know, tweet with the hashtag BetterForIt. Better For It is a podcast from ADP. You can find us on Spotify, Apple, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like what you heard, please leave us a review and share the show with your friends. You can tweet me at Cheska Lee. There's a link in the show notes. Better For It is produced by Max Gibson and Matilde Orfolino. Andrea Bruce is our editor. Mixed and scored by Molly Bolton. Our theme is composed by Marcus Thorne Bagala. Additional music from Marmoset and Billy Libby. Fact-checking by Gabby Bulgarelli. I'm Francesca Ramsey. Thanks for listening. <laughs>